The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this Stockhead podcast. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Today we are revisiting the Talga Group's progress towards becoming a major supplier of graphite-based anodes to the rapidly expanding lithium-ion battery market. To run us through this update, we're delighted to welcome back to Stockhead, Talga's Managing Director, Mark Thompson. Welcome, Mark. Your company has successfully raised about $60 million since we last spoke. Can you tell us uh, and the listener, how the company's balance sheet looks today and how you plan to deploy these funds through 2021. Uh, sure. Thanks, Peter. Well, that number's um, you know, largely accurate, I guess, pro forma for the end of the end of the quarter. Uh, this, this year is about what we're expecting. Um, so, yeah, in the region of about 60 will be the cash balance. Most of it is earmarked to start constructing a electric vehicle anode facility in Sweden, which is our obviously our home base for our um, integrated sort of graphite mine and refinery. This this plant will actually be built at the refinery site and make uh, it's a it's doing the qualification scale samples for EV uh, manufacturers and battery manufacturers. Um, so that that's the bulk of it. And the rest is going into product development on our silicon and solid state type anodes. Uh, expansion of the team and resources into what is now a global sort of commercial enterprise, and um, also drilling an expansion of our of our primary resources. Um, so yeah, it's it's essentially taking the um, the company to the point where we have partners and funding solutions for the project um, and the products in a state where some of our customers can start uh, going a little more more public or a little bit more committed with what we're making. Yeah, so company's got a market cap of about uh, 450 million now. Is that mm. the case? Yeah, yep. and um, this uh, plant you're going to be building is that in, in effect a, a pilot plant to uh, to to get product assurity? Uh, look, I guess it can be called a pilot plant, but it's uh, it's it's mostly qualification. We've already been piloting at different scales uh, with toll uh, partners and at our own plant in Germany. Um, so it's not so much around the piloting of processes, although that is part of it. The bulk of it is because when you make materials that go into batteries for electric vehicles as compared to appliances, uh, laptops, electronics, phones, that sort of thing, well, the automotive industry has got very strict uh, development um, requirements on quality and it requires you to have a continuously operating plant that they are auditing. Um, before putting orders in for things. So uh, it's a sort of, it is more of a qualification plant. At the same yeah. time, it will provide us with much larger scale of material yeah. for them yeah. and is the last step uh, before the uh, commercial plant starts getting built. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense from their point of view. So the company is working with several industry and technology partners as mm. it refines its anode technologies and has received grants to support its development work from government instrumentalities very recently and several ESG-focused funds. When does the company expect to have the technical issues around its anode project 
at the point where construction and then manufacturing can commence? Uh, well, I, I guess in some ways, uh, apart from obviously this qualification process and sort of scaling up of some of the um, some of the processes, but most of the equipment we use is off the shelf from uh, our suppliers, and uh, you wouldn't you, you would actually be able to go into production uh, now. But what's what you're waiting for is the process requires of of the buying the so should say the procurement process yeah. of the customers is a is a multi year sort of testing of the yeah. material and at the same time the permitting of the sites and the building of the sites takes some time so we're still on track for commercial production twenty three which is also when the demand for the extra volume is required so it's not like a metal that you can just dump into the market and someone will buy it from you at a certain price. It's yeah. entirely based around customised um, acceptance of the material. Yeah, I know some of the uh, the lithium uh, producers, downstream producers uh, who are making the lithium carbonate, have had you know basically it's taken six months, twelve months to get their lithium carbonate into actually battery battery plants because they you know there's this quite strict quality controls. Yeah, and and it's it's important though to recognise though that that isn't an issue as such. That's just how that industry works. It's right. it's a requirement. By the customers, that is normal. It's not. It's not extraordinary. No. It just differs from the people that work in raw materials and and just you know, base metals. Obviously, okay. it is a different uh, you know, thing yeah. on that. But that's because these are more advanced chemicals, and that's the way the current industry is. It's not necessarily a uh, an issue. Yeah, it's not a commodity business, as you say. It's advanced chemicals. So I understand that there are in fact two projects that the company's got on the table at the moment. There's the initial anode materials project about which we're speaking now and then there's the downstream anode manufacturing project which would follow which would be actually going downstream to make the anode product and sell that directly to the battery maker um well yeah essentially it's uh uh it's one just integrated uh project really where you have at one end active you know coated anode material Getting sold to a battery manufacturer and everything from there to the ground you you own and are, are actually running, um, and then you have the scale up of that project over time, and then within it you have different anode products coming out of it. So you you currently have a one hundred percent graphite anode product, then you also have one with an increased amount of silicon in it coming out as you scale up, and you also have a um, so it's more of an R and D level at the moment, but you'll probably have a solid state um, which is a a sort of combination of your graphite and some other uh, materials in there as a compound. Yeah. So it's it's probably more to see it as one single integrated project that may take place. Uh, different parts of it could expand over different countries uh, over time um, to take advantage of different economic opportunities in those in those individual countries. Um, but the overall spine of the whole thing is that single integrated graphite to anode development. Yeah, so last year you came out with the Vitengi pre-feasibility uh, pre study and then yeah. we've seen more recently the, the Nishka uh, feasibility study, which is something which would begin in sort of 2025 and follow yeah. on. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so this is just because uh, the time frame of these sorts of projects, I mean, any sort of resource project is very many years, whereas the market demand is actually increasing exponentially very quickly. Yeah. So you have, you have to look ahead and start 
planning things out. And it's very hard. You don't know what the volumes and pricing and everything else are going to be at that stage. But certainly we see enough demand from our customers to support this and many multiples, actually, of what we, we looked at with NISCA. We actually think we're still being very conservative. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the the drivers and the tailwinds are extremely um, strong for that expansion. And uh, I guess I should point out, though, that, that um, the Vitengi project, uh, PFS, is being done now as a we're completing a DFS on that that's due yeah. next month. Yes. That that you know the DFS doesn't expand. It can't do anything new. A DFS is just a much more accurate PFS, yeah. right? So it's not it's not anything new. That just is on our non far south deposit. And then the NISCA study looked at well, what if we add you know four times that that volume in the project? How would we build it? And in future, what we see is integrating them together. So you've just got one single project which would be outputting just over 100,000 tonnes of anode, uh, which would make it the largest uh, natural graphite uh, anode producer outside China and and possibly in the world. That's great clarity for investors, uh, Mark, and I think that's really, really sewing it all together like that's really useful. So how do you think the anode project would proceed in, in terms of its corporate structure? Will it require a period of pilot plant evaluation? We've And you've already covered that to some extent. Uh, yep. at scale or will there be some sort of staged ramp up to full production and what is expected the capital costs of the anode project? I mean, initially I think there was a sort of $1.2 billion uh, figure put out for the Nishka project, but we're not, I'm not sure what, how it starts up. <laughs> yeah, that's in the second half of the decade, that, yeah. that number. And uh, yeah. I think by the time we get there, we, we had to, being a scoping study, have plus or minus like 40%. So I think... Yeah. Uh, a lot of the plus forty percent ended up on the on the capex. We expect some pretty material uh, reductions in that in, in future, but uh, that's the way it's got to be written down. Um, yeah, so so it's actually a, a, about two hundred million dollars actually for the first commercial uh, project and uh, for for Nunsfar South, which is the Vatangi uh, DFS. Uh, that's what the number was in the PFS. Um, the DFS has to be even more conservative, so you know I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, alters. That's pretty normal. But um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a very to be honest, it's a very doable number now. Probably one to two years ago, that would have been quite difficult to look at from a purely banking point of view. Our strategy was to introduce partners to help develop the project, and that would normally take the place. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but the discussions are around like a potential joint venture where you have a joint venture vehicle, you decide what to put into it. Uh, what assets to put into it in the mine, the refinery, uh, other things like sales distribution, technology, yes or no. Um, and incoming parties, it's public that uh, Mitsui and LKAB, who are the state-owned uh, mining, mining and technology company, they would at the moment look at, you know, that would that, that's the sort of thing they would look at as being partners. And how that affects Talga is that those any incoming party that we're, sort of selling some of the project equity to, not the company equity, but the project equity to, would be expected to pay for not only their share, but, you know, some of Talbot's share as well. That yeah, would be a normal. Be, exactly. So, uh, to be honest, nothing fancy, just looking at, but but we're looking at, well, what's the, the minimum amount of, of finance that Talga will have to face the liability of? Sure. How do you make the capital you do need as cheap as possible? You get a carry from your incoming partners. That's the normal. Yeah, thing. And, and to be honest, it's fair to say that right now there's actually, uh, you know, you could go 100% like project-based finance with partners all the way to 100% 
just debt finance with someone, which is not the, necessarily the way to go. Obviously, you could do a lot of equity too. We're, we're trying to avoid that. So we've, we're looking at the balance with our Morgan Stanley as strategic um, uh, advisors. And we have had lots of things, I guess, warming up to this point. And the DFS, to be honest, is that the we're putting out next next month on the project, is not actually for the re- it's not for the investor market. Um, it's a process we have to go through as the part of the project valuation in the funding discussions to finalise things with these partners, other potential partners, um, you know, banks and other potential financing yeah. agencies, sovereign wealth funds, uh, government related funding. So it's it's about looking at all of that and giving Telga the maximum bang for the buck while decreasing any risk to development yeah. and increasing our leverage to still what what we own in the company. And I think in that way, we've got a great mix because in Mitsui, we've got this Japanese partner that has got existing customers, has got you know deep knowledge of some of these markets and that that we operate in and has got very good relations to some of our partners. Uh, to our customers. And then, of course, LKB is the, the premier um, you know, partner on the ground, um, huge shift from their existing giant sort of iron ore and other operations into renewables, into sustainable type related minerals. But of course, being the a state-owned entity, they have um, yeah they own all the the mines and infrastructure around us, huge workforce and and huge opportunities for um, working with local stakeholders and incredible synergies from a cost and operations basis with us. So. Um, the, these are these are strong partnerships that we have available to now walk through some funding models for the project. That was part of my that was part of my question really to to find out what what sort of mix of you know full equity partner, raw materials supplier, technology licensee, or a combination of the above, and that you you know basically you put all those things on the table and we'll see how it comes up. What's the best for the company? Yeah, look, unfortunately, you know, not trying to be glib and avoid everything, but there's, you know, what else can you say? It's a, yeah. it's a process that you're in, and the the opportunities. But, but your investors need to know that you know you it's it's not some magic out there. It's all being considered, and I think that's uh, yeah. a sound policy to move forward with. Which <laughs> yeah, now, no, Mark, Mark, how how quickly can the Swedish the Swedish graphite mine that you have be brought? Into full production, you know, in you know, uh, really ramped up to to meet your you know, what's required. Well, so okay, so we've been mining, so we've been like mining on a sort of up to five thousand ton basis uh, uh, before in yeah. a trial mine, and we've got a currently granted uh, permit to mine another twenty five thousand tons of ore, which would produce about five thousand tons of anode. So, the extra funding we took in the SPP is earmarked to make that happen um, as soon as we can, and that material doesn't have to feed the EVA plant, but it can also be part of a scale-up, including an exploration of any early-stage commercial-scale uh, operations we can we can do. Mm. Uh, the permits for the full-scale mine have been in for about a year now and are progressing well. Uh, that's about all I can say about that. Uh, we, okay. we don't know when the Swedes are going to grant them. Um, we have targeted next year, like in 22, um, and that will allow us the time to do what we need to do in time for production in, in sort of late 23. But, um, yeah, you, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not like an Australian sort of system where you've got a series of boxes and as long as you tick them, you will get something. Yeah. It's a much more involved of, you know, discussion with stakeholders, government and uh, all the various government agencies. And, that's, and to be honest, we're setting up something that's going to probably, well, I personally feel will be in operation for a lot longer than now studies show 
Yeah, because um, you've positive. got a lot of resources there right. as well as the reserves. It's a very, this will lead on to very, very long-term development. I believe similar to the, in uh, in scale and length of time as the iron ore industry is out of Sweden at the moment. And therefore it is worth getting right. It's worth doing very, very carefully and making sure that everyone's aligned uh, with it. But certainly there's no technical reason why it can't uh, proceed as planned. With the funding that you're getting from government instrumentalities in the UK, who will own that technology and will Telga have the ability to license its technologies to the project when it's up and running? Uh, good and interesting question. Um, yeah, we've already been developing a lot of our NO technologies in the UK anyway, so we own it uh, already 100%. Um, what we're looking at is providing potential solutions for uh, in a post-Brexit world for the UK to have its own battery production uh, supply chain, which include, you know, we're probably the, the closest and uh, as far as we can tell, the, the best uh, option for getting anode material into, uh, well, definitely natural graphite anode material into, um, into Britain as part of that. So if they're going to do it, it needs some support and it needs exploration of the economics of that as com- compared to our Swedish operation, not because it it doesn't, uh, doesn't rep- um, you know doesn't uh, replace it. It's an extra. It's a growth option. And so these studies, uh, the co-funding from the government, um, sure, if we have someone else set up something, we can license some tech or something to them. But they're actually economic studies to look into the feasibility of building separate production facilities than Sweden in the UK um, to help electrify their their transport industry. And that's just a wonderful growth opportunity. And so it's well worth. And the fact they're helping co-fund it shows, you know, that they're very serious and, and committed to it. Yeah, well, there's no doubt there's uh, going to be demand for this product going forward. We've got Elon Musk saying he'd be building electric trucks at the moment, but um, the trucks are going to have 500 kilowatt hour batteries and there's not enough batteries, you know, there's not enough battery being battery materials being built to, to make uh, trucks at scale so you know that's a, ch- a challenge uh, look on that subject we spoke to a company the other day that currently makes trucks and uh we uh we didn't we knew they were electrifying but we didn't know they were looking to sort of making their own batteries and so forth and yeah. uh, when we looked at their demand curves for the second half of the year you, you can easily well to be honest you're seeing between say 50 to 100 thousand tons of anode needed just for that one company yeah, yeah. and that currently isn't included in the demand curves within Europe or the world. So to be honest, every month we, we speak to companies that aren't currently being included in the, in the proposed outlook, the capacity required in the market. Yeah, and, and I mean, Tesla's already yeah. stopped talking about gigafactories. They're talking about terafactories now, <laughs> bigger factories, build a bigger exactly. factory. Exactly. They're, they're talking about going through what will need a total of about 3 million tonnes. Yeah. And that's just the one company. And of course, they won't actually probably be the largest when it comes to the, the total volume. Yeah, so Mark, just uh, finally, I realise we're still a couple of years away from seeing revenue stream, uh, but can you tell us about the structure of the proposed anode sales agreements with the downstream battery giga stroke terra factories that we're going to see in Europe? Uh, look, the, the official answer is, of course, not, but I can just speak quickly to a range yeah. of things coming up so that maybe you can get a feel. The, these things are very much unlike normal sort of metal offtake agreements. Uh, Some of them are discussions around very long-term offtake, including uh, things like equity financing in the project. 
Um, others are very light on, just looking at small volumes in repeated amounts. Some of them are, are trying to become like a, well, some of the car companies want to have a cost plus type pricing. Uh, so I uh, think methods that have worked very well for their industry, long-term repeatable type uh, revenues on their supply chains. Um, but those sorts of things are not normally done in mineral type uh, developments. Your downstream partners are likely to be uh, participants in the project in any case, the way the funding is being sort of wrapped mm, together. Yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's quite a few things evolving. And I think the best thing strategically is probably to have uh, one key, one or two key players with, yeah. with cornerstoning of, and in those you might suck up a, a bit of pain on a few deals. It just, just depends on the timing. Yeah. And on the balance, you, you want that to float to take advantage of what we believe will be much higher prices uh, around 23 to 25 when the demand is starting to you know, really start cranking up. So okay. we, that, that's, we want to be careful to not actually lock in anything, to be honest, because uh, not only ourselves, but other people in the market are uh, seeing much higher prices as demand continues to fly. Brilliant. Okay, Mark, well, thank you for coming in and talking to Stockhead today. And I will look forward to seeing you in sort of April once we've got that DFS numbers out and you're a bit further down the track with all of the arrangements to actually press the button and, and start building the thing. So thanks for coming in and we, we look forward to talking again soon. Thanks, Peter. See you later.